Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get things started. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad About Muppets. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. Mad About Muppets is your go-to Muppet podcast for all things concerning Muppets. We discuss Muppet news, Muppet rumors, and those all-important Muppet rumblings, and then we break it all down for our chosen Muppet of the Week. Stay tuned for our weekly recommends, and make sure you check us out on Twitter at Muppet Podcast and on our website, madaboutmuppetspodcast.com. <laughs> this week's Muppet of the Week is what, Brian? <laughs> This week we're going to be talking about Muppets Most Wanted. We're doing a sequel. We're back by popular demand. Come on, everybody, strike up the band. We're doing a sequel. That's what we do in Hollywood. And everybody knows that the sequel's never quite as good. Well, guys, I want to welcome you and welcome our audience to episode number 75. Boom. Of the Matter About Movies podcast. They said we'd never make it this far. I know. Idiots. It feels like 300 episodes. Thanks a lot, parents. <laughs> so, we kicked off our podcast, our first episode, uh, talking the Django Unchained movie. Right. But I remember a tangent in that episode where we talked about Muppets for like 25 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So, it's good that we've made it kind of full circle here from our first episode to episode 75. Before we talk about Muppets, guys, <laughs> let's talk movie news, rumors, and rumbling. Movie news, yes. rumors, and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. Is there anything you guys want to mention off the top? Um, I mean, most of my time's just taken up getting ready for the greatest and most epic movie franchise of all time, the new Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that quote, and Richard, go ahead and give a backstory to this. Uh, well, let's let Brian do that, because I don't. I always oh, yeah, saw what Brian, Brian sent me. Yeah, uh, on Twitter today, there was an article on, I think, Variety, uh, in which Mark Wahlberg declared the Transformers franchise to be the most iconic movie franchise of all time. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the article because I died, um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, headline, the headline was enough, I, I think. Um, so there's that. Well, who's paying his check right now? You got to remember. <laughs> it's Michael Bay. If he had used another word, like successful, maybe he could, he could make an argument that Transformers is one of the most successful franchises. Sure. What if he would have just said it is a movie franchise? What if he just <laughs> That's also true. That? Yeah, that would be true as well. You're right. But certainly you got to take – Transformers into consideration for being one of the most successful franchises, considering none of the movies are good. Like, I can't think of a movie that's each movie's made like a billion dollars where they're all three terrible. Twilight. Twilight. Uh, I don't think that is that it's as successful as Transformers, but it's a different thing. It's I don't feel like Twilight are blockbuster type movies. You know, it's sort of a, a cult thing. I get what you're saying. <laughs> Not even in the conversation for iconic. No. Like, I don't even, I don't know what's going through his head. He's got to hate Transformers. He's just like, what's the most sarcastic thing I could say about this <laughs> franchise? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the most iconic franchise of all time. Yeah, it's not even in the, my top five. 
I don't know where you guys stand on that, but I would say uh, it's definitely in my top seven, eight hundred movie <laughs> franchise. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I mean that sincerely. Like, congratulations! It'll be interesting to see. You know, it can't get any worse with Wahlberg. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, it's better than LaBeouf. LaBeouf. <laughs> oh, jeez! I don't even want to go on a tangent on a LaBeouf tangent here. He's he's not famous anymore, man. He's not. Well, let's let's talk about some other franchises here while we're on the topic. Uh, Ridley Scott's next film has been confirmed. It is uh, coming out March fourth, two thousand and sixteen, uh, and working title uh, Prometheus two. Oh, so, okay. so we have a writer. The news is, or it's a rumor actually, I guess, that they've hired a writer for Prometheus 2. His name is Michael Green. Mm. And Brian and Richard, you guys are probably familiar with his work. He wrote mm. a great little film called mm. Green Lantern. Oh, no. Heard the screenplay of that was, was marvelous. <laughs> Spectacular, actually. And uh, the only other stuff he's written is a couple episodes of Smallville. Mm-hmm. And a show called Everwood, which was a huge <laughs> success. I don't understand what Ridley's thinking here with a guy that's got one film under his belt that was but, but a, the biggest a success. I mean, we can all agree, huge success. I, I sat through it all. I'm, well, I might be the only one on this podcast. Did you see it, Kent? No, no, okay. I haven't even. Oh, well, I haven't even to. seen it on DVD or anything. Oh, that makes me the king of this podcast as far as Green Lantern is concerned. Yeah. Brian, we got to go over to your house and make Kent watch Green Lantern with us. Fantastic. I would love to watch his reactions to it. <laughs> True story. Uh, like two Thanksgivings ago, my wife's family came over the Friday after Thanksgiving and uh, we were all like playing cards or something. And her uncle, who I, I really, really like, really great guy. Just decided he'd, he'd had enough of, of uh, games and such. And so he went into the other room and uh, got on the old HBO and found Green Lantern right as it was starting. And he watched the entire thing turned up to about mm, 90 <laughs> on the TV. Just blaring while we're in a room about seven feet away trying to, uh, trying to play a game. And he, they would not leave until he got to finish the entirety of Green Lantern. Well, understandable. I mean, you don't want to sound on the context. Can't, can't, like, if you think Now You See Me is rough, you have no idea what you're in for. Really? It makes Now You See Me look like Shawshank. <laughs> Perfect comparison. Wow. Um, I don't see how that's physically possible. Okay, here. Okay, so it might be a little ridiculous that Blake Lively plays a fighter pilot. But don't worry, she also plays the CEO of a major defense organization. <laughs> who just is a fighter pilot for a hobby, apparently. Right. Cause it, that's well, I mean, that's a natural progression like. from Gossip Girl, right? Is yeah. it not? There's a lot of guys. You go up on the hill in Washington or hang around the Pentagon, you'll find that most people look like Blake Lively. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is true. So that's not good news. Michael Green does not no. seem like the right choice here. It does not does not bode well for it's this not, project. The last, last Prometheus was Damon Lindelof, yeah. who um, famously like destroyed the original screenplay for Prometheus, mm-hmm. which was called Alien Genesis, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And so he took out so many of the major plot points that half the movie doesn't make sense. There are about 50 things in Prometheus that you don't 
figure out by the end of the movie. Like looking at it is great, but like close no. your eyes during that movie. It's uh not a huge it's, fan. It's way rougher than anyone can I, remember. I'm all your points are valid, but keep in mind, Brian and I have seen Green Lantern. <laughs> That's true. You're speaking well, it from a different I've perspective. I've seen all of it. I've seen 45 minutes minutes of Greenlander. (laughs) The best was, I've got to be the first person ever to walk out of a midnight release. (laughs) Maybe. Just 1 a.m. driving home, like, "Mm -mm, worth it. Got anywhere else to be? Nope. Just going home. (laughs) Done. I got to ask you a question real fast before we move on. You guys famously have a story where Mm -hmm. um, the Dallas Mavericks advanced or beat the Miami (laughs) Heat in Uh a very big game. Yeah, game two. Yeah. yeah. And X-Men. you guys were in an X-Men movie at the time. Yeah. Explain no, well, that. We watched the game and then we went to the X-Men yeah. movie. It oh, was mid- okay, okay. It was midnight of the X-Men release. All right. We, I went out. The Mavericks were down late. Uh, famous NBA Finals comeback. And I went out and swam some laps because this is what I do in the summer just to – not kill myself when I'm watching my team lose in the finals. <laughs> and then I got in from swimming and the Mavericks had cut it to like four points after being down like 20. And uh, so I watched the end and the Mavericks had a triumphant comeback for the ages victory. And then I went and watched X-Men first class. It is the only time I've ever seen that movie. And it at the time might've been my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is clouded by the gloriousness, but Brian had, I was already in the theater waiting for me. Yeah. And I walked in and we just hugged for like 30 seconds in front of everybody at this yeah. midnight release. It was, we made everybody, including my wife and his girlfriend at the time, uncomfortable with the yeah. length of our hug, but it was worth uh, it. It was fine. We're good with it. No, I had heard, I'd heard that story. And I just want a clarification. Yeah. Because for our listeners, they don't know, you two are probably the biggest Mavericks fans I've ever met mm-hmm. and probably on the face of the earth. So I was just wondering why you guys would choose seeing an X-Men film that's yeah. going to be out for like three <laughs> months at least um, yeah. instead are of we... watching an NBA Finals game. Not even just a playoff game, a regular season game, a Finals game. I was, uh, I was... We watched it all. It was at midnight yeah. and we had like a – it was at a, a movie tavern I think. Mm-hmm. And we, so was... we had assigned seats so we didn't even have to get there until you know 11.45 or whatever. So it worked it was... out. It was fine. It was I definitely... was at a big stage at that point in my life of going to midnight movies for all yep. the – the bigger blockbustery movies. Well, it was before so, you had Cooper, so you had or right. Dom, Dom yeah. rather. Yeah. And so you had to get them, get it all out of your system. Totally right. understandable. And I would say that that hug was definitely speaking of top five, definitely <laughs> in our top twenty-five most homoerotic moments between totally. Brian and I. Yeah. Besides all the time we watched MacGruber together. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's inevitable when you watch that film. It just it just happens. Yeah. Absolutely. So. You mentioned movie tavern, Brian. What are yeah. your? I don't think we've ever had this conversation on the on the podcast before. What's your preferred like method to go see a movie? By myself in the middle of the day. <laughs> like yeah. a few years ago, it would have been totally different. Like maybe even two or three years ago, it would have been. I, I think it's fun to be there for an event, you know, and have like everybody there. It's excited and go to the midnight screening and all that. But. I really, my dislike of people has grown over the last couple of years and I've gotten to be an old man. And, uh, so I love the Monday or Tuesday afternoon at one o'clock when there's two other people in the theater. That's, that's my favorite thing in the world now. What's your preferred theater style? Do you like the dine in? Do you like the old school, um, (laughs) drive in or, or what's your, what's your ideal? I, I like, I like the dine in theater. If I am like if I'm out with my wife or or something like that, like 
but as I, I will admit, it takes away from the feel of the movie because there's way more lights in the theater, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. you've got little table lights and there's just, you know, waiters and waitresses are walking around and stuff like that. So there's a, if you're, if you live close to an AMC theater that has a, a cinema suites, like we have one in, uh, in Grapevine, um, that can be a really cool experience because the, the, the seat is like a really huge leather chair and um, they have all these amenities and stuff. Um, that's pretty cool. If, if I'm going to do the, the dine-in theater, I prefer that over like a movie tavern or whatever. But generally speaking, my normal showtime is like, uh, like I said, a weekday afternoon and it's just at a standard you know, mall theater. Yeah. Richard, what do you, Richard, what do you prefer? I'm a middle of the, uh, I've got two hours, um, free kind of guy. Um, just whenever I can by myself person. Um, I'm also, I'm, you know, I'm in Dallas now, so we have a, uh, an Alamo draft house, which is, uh, fantastic. Uh, so that's definitely a, uh, the new kind of preferred, um, I'm fine with dine-in. I'm really uh, – this is – trying to say this without sounding like pretentious. pretentious. Yeah. I like being in the movie and so um, it, the lights and waiters and waitresses take me out of it. And so yeah. like if – it doesn't bother me if it's you know um, Man of Steel but if it's something I actually really care about kind of engrossing myself in, which only comes around about twice a year. Um, I'm I'm agitated easily by like waiters and waitresses or servers rather as they prefer to be called, um, buzzing around me. But uh, so I try to just I use the uh, movie tavern ish places for like summer movies that I don't care as much about. I'm the same way. I had the same complaint with the with the dine in places about the or the waiters. Mainly it's just because people were talking. Yeah, that's they're my ordering. Thing, yeah. They need yeah. a freaking refill on their diet. Seven up, you know, and they're <laughs> pressing. They're pressing their button that lights up right next to you. They're yeah, uh, the movies. The, the lights just don't turn off in those theaters. Like yeah. it's 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 pretty much bright the entire time. So it's it's fine on a special occasion, but I agree it's not it's not my preferred method of seeing a movie. What's yours? Uh, what's your what's your go to? Lately, I've been a night guy. Mm. And that's worked out pretty well for me. When I screen this movie, Muppets Most Wanted, <laughs> um, it's it's completely normal for a 26-year-old guy to go by himself <laughs> at 11 p.m. on a weeknight to see a Muppets movie. Right, guys? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, just sure. making sure. Just making sure. But I went last night and started at 11 p.m., first of all, the movie. Wow. It's like <laughs> – why, many, why would they even schedule a yeah. Muppets movie to start at 11 p.m.? <laughs> it's no sense. So, of course, I was the only one in the theater, only person, legit private screening. It was pretty awesome. It was on, like, the giant big screen. But that's become my go-to, especially if a movie's been out a, a week, two weeks. Try and get, like, a 10.30 or a yeah. 10.45 at night showing on a weeknight, especially a Monday or Tuesday. And yeah. you're almost guaranteed to have a private screening or just have one or two other people in there in the theater with you. Yeah. And that's no, the I'm ideal way. Yeah. Before I had a kid, that was my that was my go to. Because I, I work a lot of evenings and so a lot of times I would I would finish up, you know, work at eight or eight thirty at night and then head out to a nine or, or ten o'clock showing of something. Now I have a kid and yeah. all things are over. But you know. <laughs> I mean it's a little different being in a theater by yourself especially during a comedy. And mm-hmm. we'll see here in a little bit how that 
is going to play on my Muppets Most Wanted review just because there's no audience to see it with. Right. You don't get the vibe of the theater. You don't really know which jokes are working and which ones aren't working. It was it was very strange, uh, to say the least. But um, definitely if you're a person that hates fighting crowds, if you're a person that doesn't like somebody sitting next to you and kicking your seat or something during a during a movie, definitely I would suggest going late at night. That's That's the method. But I want to mention one other thing before we move on and talk about Muppets, guys. This sort of centers around Disney. And I know we'll be talking a little bit about Disney and their future going forward here when we talk about Muppets. But last week we talked about the Peter Pan uh, origin story and we were complaining. And how the world needs it. Yeah, we were complaining <laughs> how this it's really unnecessary and how we think that all these old animated films that we all grew up uh, to know and love are going to get eventually get remade. Mm-hmm. And so this week I've been compiling a list of all the live action <laughs> movies oh. That we're going to get over the next couple of years. And I just want to go over this real quick. A lot of them are pretty far along. Like they've got a director. They're starting to shoot and stuff like that. So I'm going to go over these. And you guys can just give me your initial impressions of them. Uh, not all of them are Disney, by the way. Some of them are other studios. A lot of the rights to these um, have been reverted to other studios. A lot of them are based on you know novels and such. So the rights have changed. Some of these are Disney, though. So I'll start off with uh, the most obvious one which is coming out this year that we haven't even talked about at all, Maleficent, mm. starring Angelina Jolie, which is a live-action adaptation of Sleeping Beauty, which is you know something that keeps me up at night, <laughs> <laughs> that we don't have that yet, you know, <laughs> because uh, Sleeping Beauty is easily my favorite Disney movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Not at all, actually. That's sarcasm. And so it stars Angelina Jolie as Maleficent and Elle Fanning, as Sleeping Beauty. And so that one is coming out this summer. So I'm sure we'll get our review in or some, or we'll mention it or something because I know Brian yeah. will at least see it. <laughs> so that's this summer. Uh, the visuals for that, from the looks of the trailers, looks very similar to Snow White and the Huntsman mixed yeah. with, mm-hmm. mixed with um, Alice in Wonderland, which I'm sure yeah. is exactly what Disney wants with that. Yeah. And I, I got to admit that Angelina makes a Awesome Maleficent. She looks awesome and great and perfect for that role. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, but later, we've got Sofia Coppola directing a Little Mermaid mm. live-action movie for Universal. This one was just announced last week that we mentioned. And so that's coming down the pipe. That I, I just don't understand that movie, why you would make that, because something they probably didn't think of. The entire movie takes place underwater. How are you going to have like people talking underwater and have it make sense? I don't see how that's going to work. Like with animation, it's there's a lot of leeway there, but that's that's going to be a tough adaptation, I think. And so well, later on, pull it off as Sofia Coppola. Yeah, I mean she she made the Godfather series, really. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, I, can't, I can't. You can't mention her without taking a dig okay. at her for the Godfather and Marie Antoinette, right? And so next year, um, one of our favorite directors, Kenneth Branagh, is bringing us in a live adaptation of Cinderella, starring Kate Blanchett as Lady Tremaine, and Lily James, who is from Downton Abbey, I believe, as Cinderella. So that one is coming out in 2015. I'm 10% on board with that one, just because of Branagh and uh, yeah. Blanchett. 
but it could be terrible. But that one, at least I'm like, have one eyebrow cocked. Yeah, that one is actually pretty exciting to me. I think Branagh will do it justice. Yeah. He won't make it too kitty, you know, for us. Yeah. And Blanchett in anything is, is always good. Yep. So the Jungle Book is getting a live adaptation. This one's actually pretty exciting. I think this would make a pretty cool movie, just knowing the nature of the subject matter and stuff. Yeah. Director has been confirmed, Andy Serkis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, CGI king of mocap for Peter Jackson's um, Lord of the Rings trilogy and Hobbit and, of course, Tintin and King Kong and all his other projects. And so he's directing the movie. A lot of people will probably be hesitant about this because they're like, wow, that guy's an actor. He's not a director. But you got to remember that Andy Serkis directed the B unit on a lot of the Lord of the Rings films. So almost like half the footage you see, maybe even in those films, is shot by Serkis. Yeah. So this guy's got an eye for it, definitely. And he knows, like, of course, how to use green screen, I'm assuming. Yeah. So that's going to play key in this one. And uh, the only person in the cast that's been confirmed so far is Idris Elba, who is voicing Sherry Khan. Awesome. So that sounds pretty cool, too, actually. So I think this could be a really cool deal. You know, get, if they get a really good actor to play Mowgli, you know, and they um, you have mean a really not good... Robin Shu? <laughs> I mean, if they can get him, he's probably booked, but. Yeah, he's playing Luke Kang again. <laughs> but it's um, that one. That one actually excites me a lot, to be honest. And this one does too. Uh, there's a Tarzan live action movie coming out. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. I'll let you take. Speaking the, yeah. of Disney, these are all Disney movies. Not all of these are Disney properties, like I said. But there was a Tarzan animated movie, so this is applicable. Uh, and director, you'll be in my heart. <laughs> yeah, you'll be. In. As long as Phil Collins has a role, I'm good. You guys getting stoked for the Genesis reunion? <laughs> it's not no. happening. I wish. I wish it's not <laughs> happening. Only if they bring back uh, Peter Gabriel, I'm I'm down. Uh, so the director of this Tarzan film, David Yates, okay. uh, director of the Deathly Hallows, yeah. Half Blood yeah. Prince, and Order of the Phoenix, Harry Potter. That's, that's fitting. That's fine. So that's fitting. Yeah. Uh, Tarzan has been cast. Alexander Skarsgård as Tarzan. Okay. Well, isn't he like Nordic? Yeah, he's like white Nordic. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this. Was it Hemsworth? Was, was it Hemsworth? Yeah, taken? seriously. I, guess, I was yeah. really hoping for Brendan Fraser personally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to let you make after his George of the Jungle masterpiece. I can't oh, tell you how much I loved George of the Jungle when I was a kid. I watched that, I love that all show. the time. I liked the show. I hated the movie. I really oh. did like the show, though. Who didn't, though? It's a great show. Um, more casting for Tarzan as Jane, Margot Robbie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the reaction she always gets on this show. Ooh. She's, she's gorgeous. I'm sure that'll be a good role for her. And Captain Rom will be played by Christoph Waltz. Ooh. Ah. All right. So that's actually sounds pretty good when you cast, yeah. When, yeah, when you kind of look at it. A Tarzan movie by David Yates starring Skarsgård, Margot Robbie and Christoph Waltz. That sounds like it has potential. Yeah. In my opinion. Much more so than the others you listed. I would say. I'm not done yet, Brian. I'm not done. Oh no. <laughs> Disney is also working on and this is the most unnecessary of all of them. In my Home opinion. on the Range? No. <laughs> They're working on a movie <laughs> called <laughs> Called Cruella. Oh. 
Which is an origin story <laughs> no. of how Cruella de Vil became so evil. Ugh. Because, you know, Glenn Close didn't do that role justice at all. Like, no one... <laughs> No one remembers that role from yeah. her. I I hope that it start her origin story starts out at the end of Fatal Attraction. That's yeah. how she becomes uh, Cruella Deville, or on that new schizophrenia commercial she's in. I don't know if I you guys have seen that. that. Uh, no. Well, it's terrifying. <laughs> All right, is it a, like awareness commercial yep. or? And it's like psycho killer. Uh, you know, all these like words you associate with a schizo. And then there's just this guy with a super blank, like lithium look on his face. And he's just like, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but not everyone with schizophrenia is like unhinged. And then Glenn Close walks up and places her hand on his shoulder and is like, what? spread awareness today. <laughs> it's oh everywhere. You guys have to see it's terrifying. <laughs> like he'd be way less scary if he was murdering people, <laughs> but he's got this weird faraway look and I'm, I'm very sympathetic and I, you know, but it's spooky. So this Cruella film, uh, this is the zinger here. They've hired a writer for it. And you guys will be really stoked about who they've hired. They've hired Aileen Brosh McKenna. She is the writer of such gems as I Don't Know How She Does It, starring oh. Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh-huh. Masterpiece. 27 Dresses, starring Katherine Heigl. <laughs> that won a few Oscars, I'm pretty sure. Technical, but still Oscars. Yeah. Here's another one. Mm-hmm. Morning Glory, starring, oh. <laughs> starring American yeah, Treasure Harrison McAdams. Ford, of all uh, people. And Rachel McAdams. And Rachel McAdams, right. Where, how did, that's about a morning show, right, Brian? Yeah, but it's in the and future. It, okay, I was going to say, when do, they, <laughs> when do they time travel? <laughs> that's a Rachel McAdams time travel joke, for those of you who didn't catch it. <laughs> and uh, she also wrote uh, The Devil Wears Prada. Well, that was like that was nominated for some stuff, right? For real? Yeah. No, I think it was. Isn't that movie good if you're into that kind of thing? I've heard that movie's good if you're like that's your thing. Yeah, it's not, unfortunately. Okay. We bought a zoo. She wrote, which is I haven't seen, but uh, Brian, the best is it Cameron, good? It's the best Cameron Crowe movie. Shut like, up. Can all agree upon that. <laughs> and she also wrote this upcoming film that has Brian really excited, coming out this December called Annie. Oh gosh, she needs to stop. <laughs> so this girl, she's yeah, this prolific. girl needs to stop. Prolific though, she's turning them out. She's turned out some some pretty pretty legendarily bad <laughs> rom coms. So if this Cruella is a bad rom com, you know, mission accomplished for her. She's done what she was hired to do. And so there's one more that I want to mention before we move on to talk Muppets here. Uh, Disney is working on a Beauty and the Beast live action movie as well. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And this is going to be written by Joe Ahirne, who only has written one movie, which was Trance, the Danny Boyle film that came out oh. last year that I haven't seen either. Ugh. Was it bad? It wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't – I mean – it's yeah, really mo- weird when they put 94-year-old Angela Lansbury in that teapot costume. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, 
soy-glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. And on that note, you guys want to move on and talk about Muppets? The world's greatest criminal has stolen the greatest treasures, escaped the greatest prisons, and he bears a strong resemblance to someone you know. It's not easy being mean. <laughs> it's good to see a movie where you can just sit back and have, have fun in the theater. Yeah. And not really overanalyze what they're trying totally. to do. I had a good time seeing this movie, a good time escaping, you know. I saw this late at night, like I said, by myself, and it brought back a lot of great memories that I had when I was little. I really, really enjoyed the Muppets when I was, when I was younger, and they have a lot of influence on what I find funny today, that's for sure. And, but Richard, I want to ask you first, mm-hmm. and I want you to kick off this episode for us. Yeah. Uh, give us your Muppets background. Uh, okay. Tell us your favorite Muppet films, maybe your least favorite Muppet films, how this okay. movie ranks, and uh, your overall initial impressions of Muppets sure. Most Wanted. So I have an extensive Muppet uh, background. I, I, I consider Jim Henson to be a personal hero, and I, I've read like every biography and seen everything. I went, I went through a major Muppet phase um, like uh, four or five years ago. I re-delved back in. And it kind of, I kind of stopped it when the new movie, when the first Muppets movie came out, just because um, it felt like everyone was going Muppet crazy. So I didn't want to be grouped in. I'm a Muppet hipster, guys. I was yeah. into it before when they were cool, obviously. No, but uh, so I do, I have, I'm looking right now at my bookshelf and there's like six Muppet graphic novels on here. Um, I'm like a, a Muppet freak. Uh, but uh, so my favorite, what would we think? My favorite is I really loved the movie a couple years ago with Jason Siegel. To me, that was like the most theatrical Muppet movie. But I love uh, – <laughs> look, if I'm not going to pretend like I don't watch Muppet Christmas Carol every Christmas because I do. <laughs> um, Muppet Treasure Island's a jam. Muppets in Space is a little worse but fine. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan's awesome. Uh, I've got the season, uh, the the TV shows, one of my favorite things of all time. Got those all on on the Divida. Um, so 
I mean, there's really not a whole lot. Some of the stuff in the 90s was a little yuck. My least favorite is the Muppet Babies. Not a Muppet Baby guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, so with, where this one ranks, I would say uh, towards the top. I saw I, – I, I don't normally do this, but I saw some Rotten Tomato stuff before I saw the movie. And I saw that it was kind of down, at least compared to the last one. Uh, mm-hmm. I was sitting up. That's hard know, to do. That's that's to be expected. Yeah. The last one was like ninety eight percent. Yeah, crazy, but I but. like this one really ninety five percent as much. Like I really liked it. I thought it was fun. I it, there was a ton of a lot more cameos in it. It felt like a more true uh, where the last one felt like a reintroduction. Yeah, um, the, this one was more just kind of take off Muppet movie with its own kind of plot and everything. Uh, it was just really just kind of a caper plot, nothing fancy. But uh, uh, yeah, right up there, just. Solid. It's great to see them. No one. I love Kermit the Frog. Something about him. I actually love him like a actual tangible human thing. So uh, it's just great seeing the gang again. Absolutely. And we'll go into specifics later. But good. Good initial impressions. Uh, Brian, what are your initial thoughts on Muppets Most Wanted? Yeah, I, I, I'm also a huge Muppet fan growing up, um, and I, I I think I have all of the movies on, on DVD or Blu-ray in some form or fashion, um, except for Muppets in Space. I think that's the, the weak one of the of the bunch, but like Richard, I watch uh, Muppet Christmas Carol every every uh, Christmas and and maybe two or three other times a year. Um, no, I, I love I love the whole the whole franchise. I thought that the the 2011 Muppet movie was that that might be my favorite movie from that year. Um, just I've watched it, I don't know, probably a dozen times since then. It's just such a fun, fun movie to watch and so smart uh, the way it's put together. This one I felt like was a, a bit of a downgrade. Uh, I still I really enjoyed it. Just like you said at the the outset, can't I? I had a it was great to be able to sit in a the theater and laugh and enjoy, and enjoy a movie. Um, I did think that it was a little weaker than some of the other films and there were some things I, I can't sit here and say there's things that didn't make sense but it, I didn't feel like it flowed together quite as well as the uh as the last one did um but yeah it was overall it was very enjoyable um not my not my favorite Muppet movie of all time but but uh but certainly a, a good experience um and uh it, it's always fun to be reacquainted with this group and I, I enjoyed the cameos I thought Tina Fey was was really funny, um, and I, I thought Ricky Gervais was was great in his role. And I'm I'm not a Gervais fan, so that's a uh, you know that's something. Was he as um, good as he is in those Audi commercials? <laughs> yeah, goodness. Um, I feel like we're about to be like inundated with Ricky Gervais. I don't know why, but I just had this feeling that it's about he's about to just really get popular. I again. hope not. He he came out with that show on Netflix. What was it called Derek? Yeah. yeah, that yeah. completely no one talked about. You know. Right. And Life's Too Short wasn't big either. But I've heard he might do some more extras, which is intriguing. Yeah, sure. Sure. But yeah, it, I enjoyed it a lot. It wasn't uh it wasn't as spectacular as as the uh, as Muppets was in 2011, but uh you know, hey, like I said, that's one of my favorite honestly, that's one of my favorite movies ever. So, I can't it's not really fair to compare it to to that one, I guess. Sure. Man, I am I was a huge fan as well. Of the Muppets and the last Muppet film uh, in 2011. When I heard that that was coming out, I was so stoked and uh, went out and saw it like the first day with with my roommate at the time. And we just had one of the best times ever seeing that movie. Like for a year straight after that, 
every morning I woke him up with Life's a Happy Song <laughs> blaring <laughs> on my <laughs> blaring on my stereo because I just thought it was so funny for the first thing for him to hear in the morning every day for a year was everything is great, everything <laughs> is grand. <laughs> just uh but I liked a lot of the Muppet movies before the 2011 one. Um, I'm going to go contrary to you guys. I actually like Muppet from, Muppets from Space. <laughs> to be All honest, right. only because uh, the main character is not Kermit or Fozzie or Piggy. It's Gonzo, who's one of my favorite Muppets. And my other two favorite Muppets have huge roles in them, or three favorites, I should say. Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor's great, but Peppy the Prawn... Freaking okay. hilarious. Uh, Riz, Rizzo the Rat, I love, and Bobo the Bear. Bobo the Bear and Jeffrey Timbor and Muppets from Space <laughs> is freaking hilarious. You need to go back and watch just that. It is it is quite funny. I think that movie um, is is pretty funny. Like It's been a while since I've seen uh, The Great Muppet Caper. I don't know if you guys mentioned that one. That's, yeah. That one's the most similar to this one. Yeah, right. And so it's been a while since I've seen that, so that's, that one's probably the only one not on my not on my radar at this point but i like muppet treasure island um i like the muppet movie i like muppets take manhattan i would probably say that uh the muppets uh 2011 the muppet movie original muppets most wanted and muppets from space probably my top five there so that's that's where it goes as far as this muppets most wanted it's it definitely felt like they were back to their original stuff. It's like you said, the, the first movie was an introduction. This is like, all right, let's go back to what we were doing before that that movie took place. It The Muppets themselves carry the movie, whereas I felt like Jason Segel and Amy Adams carried the other movie. Yeah, The Muppets are the main characters here. Uh, Constantine, not too big a fan of that, uh, that Muppet. He wasn't – I felt like they he took way too much screen time maybe away from some of the other Muppets. Even though this movie was extremely long for a Muppet movie, it was like almost two hours, mm-hmm. like, which is really surprising. But uh, the Constantine was okay. Um, maybe, maybe in a few years I'll have to go back and watch it and see how much I liked it. But I didn't find it funny. I mean, I, li- I enjoyed it, but I, didn't, I wasn't laughing out loud at, at some of his lines. I love how the movie started, though. It started at the end of the 2011 movie. And they go straight into a song called "We're Doing a Sequel," mm-hmm. which was absolutely magnificent. <laughs> um, I really like the new musical numbers in in the 2011 Muppet movie. That was something they had gotten away from in the later years. Yeah, uh, with Muppets from Space and Treasure Island and things, but they brought them back with the last Muppet movie to great effect. And this this one outdoes it. I think maybe as far as the songs themselves, I th- the songs in this movie were were easily my favorite part of the movie. Um, every single song I I absolutely loved, but I love this, the beginning. I love how it kicked us right into gear. Um, some credit needs to be g- given to James Bobin, uh, the director and writer of this movie and the last movie, and Nick Stoller, who is Jason Siegel's writing partner, who wrote the last one with Siegel. And this one with James Bobin. Uh, you gotta wonder how much this movie missed Jason Siegel's writing influence. I sort of felt it. Did you? Yeah, I, I did. I didn't think the script was uh, yeah 
was near as uh, funny and witty and and kind of. I think there's a great strangeness to the first the 2011 Muppet movie, and it, well, I mean, you, you can't really say that's missing from a movie that's about puppets, but you know, uh, <laughs> it's. I think there was a a, a little bit less of. I don't know, I guess wit and, and just strangeness to this movie that I really loved in that, that 2011 one. Yeah. The first joke apparently that they wrote on the 2011 one was when they were driving in the car with Walter, they're going to Muppet studios and Walter's like, hold on guys, I got an idea. And then they, um, show them eating hot dogs. Great idea, Walter. (laughs) These hot dogs are awesome. Right. Like that's just so random and not even like a Muppet centric joke. Yeah. But that was just the the tone of the movie was established perfectly with like that joke alone. And that was definitely missing here. A lot of the one liners were missing. There were more like physical gags in this movie mm-hmm. than in the last one. Like there's a moment where they're they're riding the train across Europe and I don't know who it was that was driving the train, but the guy just took his head out the window and just got Kept getting yeah. his head bashed in by like signs or something. Right. And that was it. I mean, it happened like twice and then they just went to the next scene. Like it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. It yeah, was, there was I, just several like small, like physical gags like that throughout it. I think I felt personally like a lot of the, so we, we've kind of touched on this, but the first one, most of the jokes I felt like were geared towards us, right? Like, like adults who had grown up on the Muppets and wanted to revisit that. And then this one was much more to me geared towards their kids, like our kids, right? It was, it, it's, it felt a little bit like, okay, now we've introduced this new audience to what the Muppets is all about. Now let's make a movie that's a little bit more, and not all of it by any means, but I I didn't feel like it was quite as uh, adult oriented as as the 2011 one was. Yeah, I can agree with you to an extent, Brian. Um, maybe the jokes themselves in this movie are more kid like, like slapstick, mm. like stuff a yeah. kid would enjoy. Yeah, but I feel like the cast and like the storyline is straight for us. Okay, like, yeah, like I, I can't see a yeah. kid getting stoked about Ricky Gervais or Tina Fey. Yeah. Or Ty Burrell. I was going to say, my nephew's know. a huge Ty Burrell super fan. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like um, several several of the jokes are straight. Like if you were born before 95, like you won't understand what they're talking about. Like there's a Macarena sequence in this movie. Right. And there's a – Celine Dion has a, has a musical number. And a few other – a few other moments that I wrote down, I can't specifically recall. Oh, P. Diddy's in the movie. Right. Thanks, because, thank God. Because he's peaking right now and everything. <laughs> um, but there are, there are several moments that are just like no kid would understand that reference. you know. And sure. that's, that's for us. That's for the adults, the people that grew up and know and love the Muppets. But there were, like you said, there were s- several kid-centric uh, jokes so it was, it crossed a weird line. It like straddled this line between adult humor and like kid kiddie humor, but it was so black and white. Like there was no in between of the two, you know. Sure. My favorite part of the movie was the subplot between 
Sam Eagle and Ty Burrell. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so clever to put them two together. True Ty Detective Burrell's Season awesome. 2? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How incredible would that be? <laughs> Sam Eagle <laughs> Sam Eagle is so underrated. He is. One, easily the most underrated Muppet, I think. Yeah. He's basically just like such a great parody of like, I don't know, someone like Bill O'Reilly before Bill O'Reilly even existed. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like yeah. this awesome archetype of what, like, of modern culture before that even occurred. <laughs> he's easily one of my favorite yes. characters, one of the most underutilized characters in the, in the movie. And that brings me up to my next question. Do you think there was uh, any characters that you would, would want to see more of in this movie? I always feel like Beaker and uh, Bunsen are <laughs> – always extremely underutilized, especially Beaker. <laughs> I find Beaker extremely hilarious. And I understand from a filmmaking perspective, you can't have every scene with Beaker because then it's not funny. Like when you, when it's me, 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 every scene, you know? Yeah. But the small ones that they have uh, are hilarious, especially in the 2011 Muppets movie. But are there any Muppets characters that you guys like that you would have wanted to see more of in this movie? Like Pepe the Prawn was in it. He had one line or something in it, and uh, he is—he's pretty funny, I think. So, are, yeah, Brian, are there any Muppets that you would want to see more? I'm trying to think. I mean, who's honestly, your favorite I'm, Muppet? To be honest, well, I, I've always been a big animal guy. Um, ah, yeah, I, and, and but I, but he's he's a lot like Beaker. You can't overuse that character because it's it's such a one note guy, right? Rolf was was like barely in this movie, yeah. but. He, I think that's kind of a bit, is because he's such a boring character. Yeah. Um, purposefully, they did a great joke about that in that first uh, in the 2011 movie. Just genius with him napping. Um, no, I, I, I feel like they have a pretty good balance of. I, I'm with you that Constantine, while he was important for this this film, I, I could have done with a little less Constantine if it meant more. Uh, Fozzie and Gonzo and the rest of the gang. But yeah. uh, no, I, I feel like the Muppets do a great job overall of understanding their bread and butter and the value of having their their smaller characters play smaller roles and not overextending that. Like there's, there's a lot, honestly, there's a lot to be learned from a comedy standpoint of uh, from, from what they do with their, their characters, which is, again, it's strange to say, hey, all of you, comedi- you know, aspiring comedians out there, uh, have a look at what the Muppets are doing, and, and you'll learn how to do comedy. But it's it's kind of true. It's it goes. I mean, that happens a lot now. I mean, I think if you want to watch like how to really build story in a movie, watch a Pixar movie. Like, right? You know what I mean? Sometimes these yeah. kids' movies are the best at everything. I don't know why that is, but I think we're in a golden era of of kids' entertainment for sure. Yeah, the uh, James Bobin. And uh, his partner, Brett McKenzie, who wrote the music to both these movies, uh, they, they created the, the series Flight of the Concords. Uh, yeah. For the listeners who haven't seen that franchise or series, a TV show, it's, if you watch that show, uh, you'll get a lot of what they're doing here with these Muppet movies. Definitely. Very, very similar, especially this Muppets Most Wanted. This almost felt, especially the music, felt more Flight of the Concords than, than the original Muppet movie did. And so, huge hats off to them. Uh, great to see Jermaine Clement again. Yes. He's, he's incredible. And um, 
Yes. The most, the most uh, Flight of the Concords the song in the movie was the Constantine song to Miss Piggy. <laughs> like, I just kept thinking of Jermaine the entire time seeing that. <laughs> it's like, I'll give everything you need. He, he, he. Like, that's all <laughs> straight Flight of the Concords. Um, man, I, I went back and watched that like last December when I got the DVDs for my cousin Carson. Shout out to him for getting me that. But it made me appreciate this movie a lot more, seeing the Flight of the Concords before it. So check that out if you like this Muppet movie. But great to see Jermaine Clement. Great to see Ray Liotta, <laughs> who had zero lines, <laughs> but was just stand, standing in the background uh, behind Jermaine Clement, like the entire uh, prison in the prison sequences. Ray Liotta spent his entire career being like a bad guy and a really like mean looking, intimidating dude. And he looks so much more intimidating now than he ever did before because he just, I mean, he looks so rough um, yeah. as compared to kind of a, a, a fresh face like in Goodfellas or whatever. But, man, he terrifies me. Yeah, oh, there was, there was, um, there was also yeah. a Boys to Men song in this too. Yes. So there's yeah. another pre-1995 reference for you in this movie. So uh, some other cameos. Uh Sweetums doing the waltz with Christoph Waltz, <laughs> which I found pretty funny. And I liked at the beginning where they're like, all right, guys, let's kick off the world tour. First stop, the uh, capital of comedy, <laughs> Berlin, <laughs> Germany. <laughs> Die, Muppet. <laughs> uh, Sowery's Ronin, also a cameo in this movie, whom we'll talk about in our next episode in Grand Budapest Hotel. But she's she's everywhere. For somebody who has done pretty much nothing besides like Lovely Bones, which wasn't a good movie, and she wasn't even the best part of that movie, and uh, The Host last year, which was also bad, like very bad. Like she's doing pretty well for herself, I got to admit. She's talented. I think it's just because she's so interesting looking. I have yeah. a theory on her. She's aged very well. Such an exotic, like like you said, like um. And a unique beauty. I would agree, but I really don't know if she's 18 or not, so I'm going to just plead the fifth. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she is. I'm okay. hoping. I'm hoping so. Then, yes. Uh, speaking of under totally 18, agree. Richard, this is on your, this is on your list. <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, gosh. Please go away. Can <laughs> we, I mean, come yeah. on. We're done. Stanley Tucci, also a cameo. Yeah, and it was weird because Sarius Ronan just ran away terrified of him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, James Bobin and Nick Stoller love the Lovely Bones. Like, we can get the whole cast for that movie in this. Well, it's a laugh riot. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's pretty and it's similar. By, yeah, by another New Zealand director. You know. Another very um, overlooked joke that a lot of people probably won't mention when they recommend this movie. The fact, <laughs> the fact that Josh Groban was in a hot box the entire time. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Josh Groban's the best. It's so funny. some underrated American treasure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> totally. Great sense of humor about himself. Yes, he does. Absolutely he's, does. He's pretty stinking funny. The best joke in the whole thing to me was the Danny Trejo joke. That, yeah. that killed me. Yeah. I just, I, I, I was, I was giggling about that five or six minutes later. So that, uh, that was strong. Yeah. So this movie is not a total disappointment for me. Uh, definitely not up to the standard of of the Muppets 2011, but it definitely goes right along with uh, the Muppets movies 
of the years past. It's um, it's going to be interesting to see what what Disney does here going forward. Uh, I don't see them doing another Muppets movie for a long time, to be honest. I feel like this movie would have been way bigger had you know the 2011 Muppets movie not been so big. You know, like if this movie had come out in 2011 instead of the Muppets 2011 movie, like would it be 98% on Rotten Tomatoes? Because everyone's like, oh, I remember the Muppets. These guys are awesome. Like I feel like that's half the praise the last Muppet movie got was, oh, man, I used to love the Muppets. It was like nostalgic love to it. Do you know what I mean? It'll be interesting to see what they do, like I said, going on from here on out because – you know, Disney is definitely one to take advantage of anything that's making money, but I don't know if this one will make a lot of money. Yeah, and it I, didn't do too well opening weekend, but I can it also see it didn't doing cost more, a lot to make. Yeah, I can so see that, it doing pretty well overseas, especially Europe, uh, considering the setting of the movie. But I, I enjoyed this movie a lot, and I liked the conclusion, the, the final act where they were at the, uh, the Tower of London. I thought that was well done. And uh, it wrapped up into a nice little bow for me, but I didn't come out with that like euphoric feeling that I had when I watched the, the the first Muppet movie. I was just so happy with the first one. Uh, any other thoughts on Muppets Most Wanted, guys? Any plot lines you didn't agree with? Any characters you didn't like? Anything like that, Brian? Uh, no, I mean, it, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a it was an enjoyable experience. It was funny. Um, the I hope we get more and more Muppet movies um, because I I think it's you know look this is a part of this is a part of my childhood that I look fondly upon and I so I you know I enjoy going back on it um, whenever I can and and these don't cost a lot of money to make so I would imagine that we'll see two you know another one in a couple or three years and um, and that's good it, they're they're enjoyable and and this. The good thing about stepping away from Jason Siegel and Amy Adams is that it, it kind of reasserted uh, Kermit and Piggy and the rest of the Muppets as the main characters, and therefore you can move on to each Muppet movie that you make without having to be concerned with whether or not you can, you know, can we get on the same schedule for Burrell and Faye and Gervais? We don't really need them for the next movie. We'll find three or four other funny um, actual humans to to fit in, so... Uh, no, I, it was a, it was a, it's a fun, it's a fun movie. I, I don't think it's as good as that, that first one in 2011 is, but, uh, but still highly, highly enjoyable for sure. One more thing I, I just remembered that I want to mention the, about, um, this being over kids heads, not that this matters, but there's a reference there that I don't know if you guys caught, uh, when Kermit becomes, comes face to face with Constantine for the first time and it's like in a doorway, you know? Mm-hmm. Clearly, a reference to the Isle of Lucy episode with uh, Harpo Marx. Remember that episode? I don't know if you guys have seen it. Not at all. Where Lucy Lucy dr- dresses up as Harpo Marx, and uh, Harpo Marx she meets Harpo Marx in the same way. Like they both walk past a door at the same time, and they mistake it for a mirror, and they start sure. doing the same stuff. Yeah. Like the whole mirror gag. That's a that's a reference yeah. to Isle of Lucy. Gotcha. So cool. That's another thing that. Good catch. Went over kids' heads. I'm not sure if you guys caught that. I wanted to point that yeah. out. And 27-year-old adults. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm proud to have seen every episode of Isle of Lucy. Uh, you should be. Love That's that cool. show. Great show. Uh, Richard, anything else you want to mention about the Muppets? 
No, I mean, I without I don't want to bore the listener. I concur on, on both of you. Maybe not as good as the last one. Good direction. Hope these keep coming. Yeah, and I saw a couple reviews over the weekends that said, like, the first line in the review was like, uh, you, you just can't hate on the Muppets or something like that. Yeah. And so I'm trying to hate on the Muppets here, guys, uh, with this <laughs> criticism. I'm trying to point out anything that I disagreed with or didn't enjoy about this movie. But there's a point to that statement. Uh, the Muppets are so great. Um, I'm just glad they're still around, you know. I'm not going to – I'm going to support them as long as they're around because hopefully – you know, I want to take my kids someday to see a Muppet movie. Brian, you probably will have that – you will have that joy in a couple years to take, yeah. to take Dom to his first <laughs> – Muppets film, and that'll be a good yeah. experience. So hopefully, they keep making these movies, and hopefully Disney does the right thing uh, going forward with them. So, all right, guys, you want to move on? Do weekly recommends? Weekly recommends. Richard Martin, recommend? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna we- recommend something that uh, has to do with uh, what we were just talking about, and it's uh, my favorite. Uh, uh, YouTube clip probably ever uh, it's from uh, one of the less successful uh, Gervais shows but I'm sure I've sent this to you um, but go on YouTube and you or go through our website and click the link um, it's a clip with Liam Neeson and Ricky Gervais and Warwick Davis and Stephen Merchant and they try to teach uh, Liam Neeson comes in wanting to learn to do comedy and uh, they teach him attempt to teach him how to do so and it's one of the funniest things it is the funniest thing in the world I think um it is, uh, I think, the the show overall. I saw Life's Too Short. It didn't, wasn't, wasn't quite up with The Office or uh, or extras, but uh, this one. I like Life's Too Short. Is that the one with Warwick Davis? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was but good. This, this scene alone is just worth. I mean, you'll watch it two hundred times. And the oh, way, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. far Neeson commits to the bit is. Yes. <laughs> So greatness, and he comes in, says he wants to do comedy, just to set it up. He says, "I'd like to do some comedy. I want some advice." And they said, "Oh, like a comedy movie?" And he says, "No, like stand-up comedy. <laughs> like just picture Liam Neeson, like." And they try some improvisation with him, and he ruins every scene in oh. less than two words. And it's the funniest thing on the planet. So uh, that's my week recommend. Yes. Yeah, great stuff, Brian. Yeah, I'm going to go with a kind of a random movie. Uh, the movie we're going to talk about next in our, our, our next episode, or perhaps our last episode, depending on how you're listening to these, uh, featured one F. Murray Abraham, who is one of my favorite character actors of, of, of all time. Um, and I, I went to yesterday or the day before and watched his most iconic role that won him an Oscar, which is uh, his, his portrayal in uh, the movie Amadeus. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever ever seen this. It won. No, all I kinds know. Of, I know what it is. It's like five hours long, though, right, or something. It's three hours long, um, and that's the like the director's cut okay. edition is that long. Uh, it, so look, there are parts that that drag for sure. Um, man, it's so interesting, and it is just such a well acted film um, that you can kind of, for me at least, I, I could fight through some of the slower parts based on how great the uh, the acting is um, and how well the whole thing is is put together. I hadn't seen it since... My dad loves this movie, so I, I, I watched it a couple of times when I was a kid. I probably hadn't seen it in, at, I would say, at least 20 years. Um, but uh, I went back and rented it on Amazon or Vudu or something and, and watched it this week. And uh, it's... Uh, look, it's it's definitely it's definitely worth winning. It won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... Oscars wow. in 1984 
including uh, Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor. It's about Mozart, uh, correct? It is, yes. Okay. Um, and it's the guy who plays Mozart, uh, is, his name is uh, uh, Tom Hulse, or Hulse. Um, and it's the most obnoxious portrayal you'll ever see. Like, And purposefully, I mean, he's just super annoying. Um, but it's it's great. And if you're a, an F. Murray Abraham fan, fan like I am, um, and for some reason you haven't seen this role, like this is this is it. Like this is uh, put on full display of how how great he is. So check out uh, Amadeus. That's a movie that's been on my Netflix queue since like day one. Mm. But it's like you said, it's three hours. So I'm yeah. never like, hey, I'm going to sit down and watch a three hour movie right now. So I haven't, yeah. I haven't staked out a time to to check it out. But I have no excuse at this point. It's good. It really is worth watching. Yeah, and, I'm and, sure it is. Yeah, uh, and enjoyable. Um, I love classical I, music. Honestly, so. it probably helped me a little bit that I had some background on it, hadn't having seen it, you know, a couple of times when I was a kid. So at least kind of, I had a little bit of knowledge going in. Um, but man, it, it's uh, it's it's definitely worth your time for sure. I want to give a recommend this week. I I hadn't seen this movie ever, uh, but finally got a chance to to check it out uh, thanks to being a film major here and about to wrap up my education. I hadn't seen this movie. Really, really stoked uh, to recommend it. It was made in 1952, and it's called Singing in the Rain. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you guys have seen this, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was the first time I had seen it and absolutely blew my mind <laughs> how great <laughs> it was and how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's awesome. It starred Gene Kelly, uh, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, and it's directed by Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly. Uh, the musical numbers in it alone are unbelievably awesome. Uh, the Muppets movie reminded me of it, so that's why I'm recommending it uh, this week. But seriously, it's like it's not like something like you're gonna want to. Most people would rent like on a Saturday night and like bring home to their family. Hey guys, let's watch Singing in the Rain together. Like the kids won't be stoked, but I guarantee you, if you like rent this and just put it on in a room. And like, don't make a big deal about it. Like, your kids will come in the room and they'll watch it and absolutely love it. Like, that was the mentality I had. I was like, oh, great, singing in the rain. We're just gonna watch people sing in the rain for three <laughs> hours. It's gonna be so lame. But man, cannot recommend this enough. An absolute masterpiece of a movie, and it's hilarious. It's seriously so funny. It has the fun? Yeah. Maybe the funniest line I've ever heard in a movie, oh. where uh, <laughs> Gene Kelly's like. He plays this big movie star in the movie. And so he's like leaving a building in New York and he gets mobbed by people as soon as he walks out of the building. And he's with his assistant and his assistant's just kind of standing on the side of the street while he's getting mobbed. And Gene Kelly's getting mobbed. And he's like yelling over to his assistant, oh, hurry up, get me out of here, or call me a cab. And his assistant goes, you're a cab. <laughs> One of the best jokes I've ever <laughs> Good stuff. Man, Sing in the Rain, check it out. So funny. Classic. I'm going to try to get it on Blu-ray or something. I know like Cinemark around here does like vintage movie nights yeah. uh, every once in a while. And Singing in the Rain is one that's always showing there. So if you get a chance, see it in the theater, check it out. Uh, you can't really call yourself a movie fan, to be honest, without seeing this movie. So I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. Uh, so Singing in the Rain is my recommend. Uh, nice. Brian, let me ask you, where can I find your work on the Internet? You can find my writing on canbabiesdrinkredbull.com, and you can find me on Twitter at bgill12. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barton. Kent, where might I find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and you can find all of our episodes 
on madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Find all our weekly recommends there and contact the show on there as well. Just click contact. And on that note, until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. See ya. Goodbye. I see a little silhouette of a clam scaramouche, scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Galileo, 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 Figaro. I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from this monstrosity. No, no, no. Easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Oh, no.